0: Chemical Watch podcast.
1: Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, this is Charlotte Niemick, news editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. We're here to take you a little further behind the headlines and provide you with fresh insight into the big developments taking place in the world of chemicals management. For today's episode, I'm joined from Washington, DC by Terry Hyland, who's a managing editor of our North America desk, and in the UK by editorial director Garant Roberts. We're going to focus on two stories today. Firstly, the news that two Republican senators have said they will oppose the nomination of Nancy Beck to chair the US Consumer Product Safety Commission, which assesses the risks associated with some 15,000 consumer products in the US. So what does this mean for her nomination? And next, we'll be looking at the EU's plans for a cross-agency, one-substance, one-assessment approach to regulating chemicals. This week, several NGOs urged the EU to take a grouping approach in order to speed up regulatory action and the substitution of safer alternatives. But what are the EU's plans? So turning first to Terry. Terry, can I ask you to tell us a bit about Nancy Beck? What is her history, and when was she nominated?
2: Yeah. Hi, Lottie. So Nancy Beck is a toxicologist with a background in microbiology, and she has a PhD in environmental health. She was nominated to chair the Consumer Product Safety Commission earlier this year. And just this week, as you had had mentioned, the Senate Commerce Committee held a hearing on her nomination. And her background is generally pretty impressive. She's spent much of the last 20 years working in government, first as a toxicologist with the Washington State Department of Public Health, and then in various roles during each of the last four administrations, going all the way back to the tail end of the Clinton presidency. But it's been her time outside of government that initially sparked concerns from the NGO community. From 2012 to early 2017, she was the Senior Director of Regulatory Science Policy at the American Chemistry Council. And when she was tapped in 2017 to take a top role at the EPA's chemical safety office, a number of those NGOs asked whether a former lobbyist for the chemicals industry could impartially implement the EPA's mission. And she's been a fairly controversial figure during her tenure at the EPA and more recently in an unspecified role within the White House. And in recent weeks, for example, she's faced accusations that she had put pressure on the EPA to weaken an upcoming significant new use rule that covers long chain PFOS chemicals, creating a potential carve out that could allow some companies to avoid PFOS notification requirements.
1: Thanks, Terry. So what impact would her nomination have on the CPSC? What does the CPSC do and what changes might we see if her nomination is confirmed?
2: Yeah, so as you had said, the CPSC assesses risks in more than 15,000 consumer products in the U.S. And they develop safety standards. Some are voluntary, some are required. This can include things like guidance on the use of flame retardants in different products or restrictions on phthalates in children's toys. Uh, They even have the power to issue recalls on products that are found to be just a safety hazard or that might contain harmful chemicals. So the commission itself is generally made up of five members. And like many, many independent agencies in the U.S., the members of the commission also have a political affiliation. So you have Democrats and Republicans on the panel. And the majority on the panel usually are members of the party of the president in power. Right now, however, there are only four commissioners, two Democrats and two Republicans. So Nancy Beck would be the fifth and she would be the chair of the commission. So if confirmed, she would give the panel a three to two Republican majority with the ability to break a tie on issues that might not otherwise garner a majority vote. And one of those stalemate issues is advice that the commission has put out on flame retardants. The commission a couple of years back issued guidance that says to look out for organohalogen flame retardants in certain products. The commission got some pushback on it, and ultimately it looked like the Commission would rescind that guidance. But when the panel ultimately voted on whether to take it down, that vote was two to two, and the guidance remains. So that's just one example of where Nancy Beck could be a potential swing vote on the panel.
1: But this week, two Republican senators said they'd oppose her nomination. What were their reasons? Does that mean it's less likely her nomination will go ahead?
2: Yeah, that's right. So after that Senate hearing this week, Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, they both came out and said they opposed Dr. Beck's nomination. And both of them cited, at least in part, her record on PFAS as one of the reasons behind their opposition. And Capito, who sits on that Senate Commerce Committee where the hearing was, also said she wasn't too impressed with Dr. Beck's answers to the committee's questions. But that isn't really the end of the road for Dr. Beck's nomination. It takes the majority vote in the Senate to confirm a nominee, and there are currently 53 Republican senators compared to 45 Democrats plus two independents that generally caucus or vote with the Democrats. So that means you could have a couple votes change and Beck would still be confirmed. Two more Republican defections, however, that could potentially sink her nomination. So you'll, you're will you likely to see Democrats and NGOs continue to talk about things like PFAS and other chemicals in an effort to persuade senators in states where those chemicals have raised some concerns to try to get them to switch to a no vote.
1: And when are we likely to hear news of the confirmation? If she's not confirmed, what's the next step?
2: Yeah, so that's probably about four weeks away from a committee vote. The uh Committee members have two weeks to submit additional questions for the record or QFRs, and then the nominee, Dr. Beck, then has two weeks to provide answers, and then there'll be a vote at that point. The committee can vote to move ahead or report Dr. Beck's nomination to the full Senate, and they can do so favorably, unfavorably, or without recommendation, or they could even choose to take no action at all. And an unfavorable recommendation uh, could put final confirmation into doubt as that might persuade other senators to switch to a to a no vote. And if you do get to the point where you have a majority of those, uh, not Republican senators, but a majority of senators coming out saying they oppose the nomination, you'll likely see Dr. Beck's name withdrawn rather than have a vote in the Senate that the White House wouldn't win. And if that happens, although I would say it's still likely she ultimately will be confirmed, but if that does happen, it may be tough to get a new person nominated and through this long confirmation process before the end of President Trump's first term.
1: Thanks, Terry. We'll wait to see what happens there. So now let's turn our attention to the EU and its One Substance, One Assessment Plan. Geraint, can I ask you to give us an outline of what the plan is, what agencies would be involved and what are the pros and cons of a harmonised assessment for a single substance across several EU agencies?
0: Sure, yeah. Hi, Lottie. Um, well, I wouldn't call it a plan as such at this stage, but it's um, certainly a concept that is uh, has been uh, floated and uh, has appeared in Uh, European Commission policy documents, such as the Green Deal package that came out in December. Um, So, the idea here is that in future we would avoid uh, situations where separate hazard or risk assessments are conducted by different EU agencies or advisory committees for the same substance, sometimes reaching different conclusions about the seriousness of the, the hazards or risks involved. Doing uh, more than one uh, assessment is also inefficient because you can have two or three agencies or committees going over some of the same ground, plus uh, companies and trade bodies in these situations have to provide scientific data and information on uses to more than one consultation process. If these processes are simplified and, and there is only one assessment per substance, then the idea is you would have consistency of outcomes and regulatory measures, and there is a more simple, efficient regulatory framework for chemicals. This uh, reduced administrative burden for industry, as well, uh, in turn, uh, goes to the theory should improve the international competitiveness of EU businesses and sectors versus other parts of the com- other countries and parts of the world um so policymakers are thinking that certainly uh, the European Chemicals Agency and the European Food Standards Authority would would be um involved in this uh, these two agencies have already worked together in a few areas but this could be expanded to include others uh for example uh assessments to help agree on priority hazardous substances under the EU water framework directive Uh, Potentially, the European Medicines Agency and some Commission Advisory Committees could also be involved. You could also bring coherence to assessments conducted under other areas of legislation. For example, exemptions to the uh, bans on certain substances under the uh, ROS Directive on Restrictions on Hazardous Substances in Electrical and Electronic Equipment. And authorizations granted under the REACH authorization process for certain uses of substances of very high concern. These two processes are actually quite similar, um, but you run the risk at the moment of having two, two done for the same substance and coming to different conclusions.
1: Thanks, Garrett. So over the last couple of weeks we've heard from NGOs and
0: industry on this, what's their view? Hmm. Yeah, Um, so they're coming at it as you might expect from different places Um, but um, neither is um, opposed to the idea uh, for sure. NGOs are, I think it's fair to say, less concerned about the need for a single assessment uh, per substance um, and are more concerned that any assessments are done relatively quickly and also that assessing groups of structurally similar chemicals in one go, something known as a grouping approach, is done much more frequently by, by agencies. Now, uh, this would not only mean that many more substances would actually be assessed, it would also mean that so-called regrettable substitutions uh, where a, a toxic substance due to be banned is replaced by an equally problematic substance, which is structurally similar but not covered by that ban, uh, becomes much rarer. Uh, The the chemical industry, on the other hand, likes the idea of a single assessment per substance because it would mean companies would only have a single data submission and consultation process to follow. Uh, It doesn't like being in the middle of one and then suddenly a second one popping up somewhere else and having to then deal with that as well. Um, but it doesn't want any new cross-agency approach to mean that any joint approach that we move to uh, takes a very long time. So it wants it to be uh, efficient uh, and streamlined. It also likes the, the, the fact that a single assessment uh, outcome would mean it would be less likely that you would get examples of conflicting measures uh, related to the safety of a particular substance. Uh, But there are are different kinds of assessment, of course, and while uh, industry, I think it's fair to say, supports the idea of having one hazard assessment per substance, uh, which would look at the hazardous properties of, of the chemical, it thinks there may be cases where having more than one risk assessment, um, depending on the uses different agencies oversee, might still make sense.
1: And do we know who would take responsibility for coordinating all of this? Is there any kind of timeline in place?
0: Uh, No timeline um, as yet. Um, The Commission will will drive this. Uh, DG Environment is drafting um, the Commission's chemical strategy due in the autumn, and and this idea of one substance, one assessment, is likely to figure uh, quite significantly in this uh, document. Um, but uh, food contact materials, for example, are overseen by a different DG, DG SanTE, and measures to um, assess those will figure in the Commission's farm to fork strategy for food. So different. DGs will need to coordinate uh, on on going forward. Um, We also don't know whether the chemical strategy will propose moving to single assessments both for hazards and risks. Uh, The latter uh, is a much more ambitious concept because assessing risks would require you to look at exposure and having complete knowledge on Exposure requires all uses and sources to be taken into account, so that would be a, a more ambitious project. But we'll have to wait and see.
1: Okay, um, Bjorn Hansen suggested that part of the plan could be to develop an EU chemicals data space, which would allow all these authorities to share the data. Uh, what might this look like? Um, are the existing tools, like IUCLEARD and the REACH database, not enough?
0: um well there's there's quite a lot of um issues here i mean i think it what what bjorn hansen did was he set out a kind of vision for um such a, a sort of super database or platform uh for the future but a lot of work would need to be done to to make it come into effect um some preliminary steps um towards this uh, are already being taken uh for example the commission is doing a study looking at common data standards between uh, ECHA, the European Chemicals Agency, um, EFSA, uh, the European Food Standards Authority, and the European Medicines Agency. And ECHA is developing systems for EFSA that will allow the latter to also use the Iuclid software um, that uh, ECHA has been, an industry has been using uh, for reach registrations, and biocide authorizations for many years. Um, But it's too early to say at the moment what uh, such a uh, chemicals data space um, might look like, but hopefully uh, later in the year, uh, we'll have a better idea of, of what the vision might look like.
1: Thank you, Geraint. That's it for today. So thank you to Terry and Garant for sharing their thoughts with us. And thank you to our audience for listening to today's episode. We hope you found the Chemical Watch news podcast valuable. If you'd like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. We hope you can join us again for next week's news podcast. Until then, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety.
0: The Chemical Watch Podcast.